Man, how good is that story about Nava? It's amazing, isn't it? I got out. Yeah, we can clap again. It's that good. I, uh, I don't really know how to follow that. You know, I kind of feel like we just need to pack up and pray and go home, but uh, I'm going to do my best, all right? So uh, today we're diving back into a series we have been in for the last three summers on the most famous sermon that Jesus ever preached. So if you have a Bible with you or some kind of device with an app, go ahead and grab those things and let's head to the book of Matthew together. Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going to be. This past week, I took a trip to Chicago for a few days, and I was there to meet with a group of pastors from around the country to talk about and to dream about planting new churches all over the world. So I got in on Monday night, started getting settled into my hotel room, and I walked into the bathroom to notice that they had given me the smallest, thinnest towels I had ever seen in my life. Some of you, you've stayed in a hotel room like this before, right? So I thought to myself, uh, I passed a Walmart on the way in. I'll just head to Walmart, grab a towel to use while I'm here. So I go to the store, uh, find a nice, big, fluffy towel. And as I'm walking toward the cash register, I notice on one of the end caps that they have sheets for sale. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but anytime I stay in a hotel room, I often wonder who slept in this bed before me, right? I mean, I know they wash those sheets, but somebody used them before I did. So I thought, man, what the heck? You know, I'm a sucker for a good thread count. Grab some sheets. So at this point, uh, I I realize, I look across the way, here's the food section. I realize I didn't bring any snacks or drinks to enjoy in the hotel room while I'm here. So, you know, I'm at Walmart. Why not? Grab a cart on the way over. And I start grabbing some snacks and drinks along the way. and, And then it hits me. I don't have a way to keep these drinks cold. And so I go and I find an employee at Walmart and I ask her, hey, uh, does Walmart sell many refrigerators? Would you believe that Walmart actually carries many refrigerators? So I walk over and, and I check them out and I find one. It's a decent price, load it into the cart. And uh, right by the refrigerators are fans. I don't know about you, love to sleep with a fan, uh, love the air circulation, love the sound. Don't tell my wife, but I grabbed one of those Dyson bladeless fans. Have you seen these things? I don't even know how they work. It's like some kind of weird magic, but I can tell you, absolutely amazing. So I grab my fan, put it in the cart. I'm just about to leave, and then I notice out of the corner of my eye that Walmart is having a summer sale on their TVs. Now, look, don't judge me yet, okay, because the TV in the hotel room was only 32 inches. They had a 50-inch for a reasonable price, so I, I loaded it into the cart, and I headed to the cash register. Now, some of you are starting to really worry about me, aren't you? Especially if you're new to our church, you're thinking, dude, never coming back to Crosspoint. This guy's out of his mind. But those of you who know me, you're starting to figure out that none of this is true. So just take a breath, relax. Some of you, I saw your faces, and and really, you're like, dude, James, have you lost your mind? Never happened. Never happened. Let's be honest. Look, come on. Why would I invest so much into so many things when I only knew I'd be in Chicago for such a short amount of time? And secondly, why would I invest so much into so many things when I knew all that I had invested in, I'd have to leave behind? Some of us know where this message is going, don't we? Look, in the passage we're diving into today, Jesus' words raise similar questions for us regarding our earthly treasure. So if you're already there, Matthew 6, we're gonna start reading in verse 19. Again, this is Jesus preaching the most famous sermon he ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. 
And here's what he says about treasure. Verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And verse 21's key, so really pay attention. We'll come back to it. For where your treasure is, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the first question that Jesus raises for us in this passage is this question. Where is your treasure stored? Where is your treasure stored? And by treasure, Jesus, Jesus is referring to that thing or those things in your life that you look to for joy, satisfaction, happiness, contentment. Uh, it's those things that, that you trust in, you, you value above all else in life. Your treasure is often the thing that you measure yourself by or you measure other people by. And according to Jesus, we only have two options when it comes to our treasure. We either store it up here on the earth, or we store it up in heaven. So which is it for you? Which is it for you? If you need help figuring it out, I'll give you a simple question to answer based on what we just read. Can your treasure be eaten by bugs, corroded by rust, or stolen by thieves? In other words, Can those things that you treasure most in life be lost most easily? If your answer is yes, the unfortunate news is that you're storing up treasure here on the earth. Now, why in the world do we do that? Because all of us are guilty at times, right? Like I'm raising my hand with you. All of us at times have defaulted to storing up earthly treasure over eternal treasure. Why? Well, I think there are two reasons why. One, it has to do with the culture we live in. You know, this kind of goes back to our message last week on coveting and contentment. We live in a culture that constantly feeds us the lie that the more earthly treasures you possess, the more content you'll be. But any of us, have, any of us that have pursued treasure, believe in that, know that that's what it is. It's just a lie, right? Because the more we get, the more we want. Isn't that right? I mean, it is a veinless pursuit. We get more, we want more. There's always something else to attain. Uh, stuff doesn't satisfy The second reason we as people oftentimes store up earthly treasure over eternal treasure, it's due to a spiritual reason. This is the more significant reason. And this is hard, but some of us need to be honest with ourselves today. Some of us do this because we don't believe Jesus can truly satisfy us like he says he can. I'm going to give you a picture. Mark chapter 10. We meet a guy who the Bible calls the rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus and he throws himself in the dirt at Jesus' feet. I mean, just imagine the richest person you know right now throwing themselves on the ground at another person's feet. This was an act of humility. This guy goes on to say to Jesus, a good teacher, calls him good teacher. And Jesus responds and he says, why are you calling me good? You know that no one is good outside of God and him alone. Well, this rich guy doesn't correct Jesus. He doesn't correct his own speech, which implies that in that moment, he recognized the Godship and the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so he goes on and and he asks, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, in many church settings today, uh, the answer given to that question is this. Just pray this prayer, right? Repeat these statements after me and it'll seal the deal. What's interesting is in Mark 10, Jesus doesn't do that. Instead, he starts rattling off uh, several of the Ten Commandments, but he only rattles off the ones that have to do with the way you and I love our neighbors. Don't lie, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't covet, uh, don't murder. 
And it's crazy. This guy looks at Jesus and he says, all of those I have kept since I was a child. Now, if you've been here for our Ten Commandments series, we just finished it last week, you know what a ridiculous statement that is. Not a single person in the room today has kept all of the Ten Commandments. We haven't kept any of the Ten Commandments since we were children. If anything, we're all batting a zero when it comes to the Ten Commandments, right? And so Jesus looks at this guy, and the Bible says he loved him. He loved him. I just wonder if this was a moment for Jesus when he thought, man, just bless your little heart, right? It's like... It's the nice southern way of just saying, you're dumb. Bless your little heart. He, he loved this guy, and he says back to him, that there's one thing you lack. Here's what you do. Go and sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven, and then I want you to come and follow me. Now, please hear me. Don't check out on me. Jesus was not saying to this man, go buy your salvation. Go earn your salvation. This rich man had a God in his life called money and wealth, right? He treasured his money and stuff over everything else in life. And so Jesus' point was simple. Hey, if you want eternal life, if you want eternal treasure, you have to be willing to lay down your, your earthly treasure so that you can embrace the God who gave it to you. You want to know eternal life? That false God has to come off the throne of your heart so the one true God can take his rightful place. Right? And look, before we're tempted to beat this guy up, because I know how we are, especially us church people, right? We'll read the Bible and, and we'll look down our nose at people. What a moron. Can't believe he would just walk away from Jesus. Well, what if it was you? What if it was you in that moment, face to face, with the Son of God in the flesh? Like, what if Jesus looked at you and said, Hey, glad you prayed a prayer to stay out of hell. Uh, so glad you're in church. So glad you're serving, that, that you're participating in a group. I want to talk to you about your stuff. You see, there's a problem here. You are still choosing your earthly treasure over me. So right now, in this moment, I want you to, to decide. I'm not going to give you time to pray about it. I'm not going to give you a week to mull it over. I want you to decide right here, right now, is it me or is it your stuff? What do you think you'd do? You see, there's a reason Jesus goes on in Matthew chapter 10 after this story of the rich young ruler to tell his disciples that it is really difficult for rich people to enter heaven. It's not impossible, but it's difficult. Why is it difficult? Because oftentimes people who have a lot don't think they need much. And they'll continue choosing their earthly treasures over the God who gave them those treasures. This is a big deal, right? Jesus is trying to cut at our heart yet again. Now, does this mean that earthly treasures are, are bad or sinful or uh, inherently evil? No, it doesn't mean any of those things. It just reminds us that, that earthly treasures become bad when we make them ultimate in life. You know, I've said this before. You can write it down if you're taking notes. When good things become God things, it's a bad thing. When good things become God things, it's a bad thing. It's a bad thing because those good things keep you from God who, who can satisfy you unlike those good things, right? Temporary stuff doesn't satisfy. Only God can satisfy. But they're also bad because they keep you from the higher priorities that your resources demand. Priorities like getting the gospel to people in need. Priorities like caring for the poor and the marginalized. Caring for the widows and the orphans. I mean, when you have to sit on the sidelines and say no to being a part of a, a story like Nava's, right, because you value your earthly treasure over Christ, that's a problem. 
That's a problem. It says that you value things other than the things that God values. Because when you and I, when you and I as people value what God values, what happens next is this. We start investing our treasure into the things that he treasures. And so if you would look at this question today and be honest enough to say, uh, James, I'm storing up treasure here on the earth way more than I am in heaven. Let me give you something to do. All right, what do you do if this is you? Here it is. You put your treasure where your heart's not. You put your treasure where your heart's not. And I know this is counterintuitive. Some of us are probably looking at it and and thinking, James, did you mean to say put my treasure where my heart is? No, that's the problem. Oftentimes we, we as people, our, our hearts are here set on earthly things, so we invest all of our treasure into those things. If you want to store up eternal treasure, you have to begin putting your treasure where your heart's not. You with me? I'll explain, okay? I want you to think right now about that thing or those things in your life that you spend the most money on, you invest the most treasure into. Maybe for some of us, it's our house or it's our car, uh, it's travel and vacations, it's a hobby, but I want you to think about it. You got it in your mind? Here's what I'd bet. I bet you love that thing more than anything else in life. You value it. Like if you're that person who uh, dumps a lot of earthly treasure, money, into your house, you're probably that person that makes your guests take off their shoes every time they come to your house and walk in the front door, right? Which I've never understood, by the way. Like you don't want your carpet getting dirty, but you're okay if your house smells like feet. Weird to me. Like I'm not a foot guy, so if you come to my house, keep your shoes on. I can vacuum after you leave. I don't know if I can Febreze that smell out of my house. Just leave them on, all right? Uh, if you're a person who, who invests a lot of treasure or money into your car, like I, I bet you're the person that washes your car, vacuums it out every other week, right? You're posting pictures of it on, on Instagram, on Facebook. If you're that person that has a hobby you invest a lot of money into, I bet that you figure out in any, or try to figure out in any conversation you're in, how to bring it up as a topic of conversation. Why do we do this? Why do we do this? Well, Jesus nails it with verse 21. Where our treasure is, where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. Whatever we spend our money on, that's what we're going to love the most, you see, for those of us in the room that excuse ourselves by saying, you know, I don't, I don't really give or, or invest in eternal things because my heart's not there. You don't give to Crosspoint, it's mission or it's ministry because my heart's not there. Uh, I, I don't give to support missionaries or church planners because my heart's not there. You know, I don't take care of, of poor people, marginalized people because my heart's not there. Here's what Jesus is teaching. Your heart won't be there until you start giving generously toward those things. The problem we often face as people is this. We wait on a feeling before we take action. Jesus is saying, no, take action and your feelings will follow. Right? You want to love this church more than you've ever loved this church? Invest your earthly treasure into its mission and its ministry. You'll start loving this church more. Do you want to actually care about poor and marginalized people? Don't sit around and wait on the government to do what the church was designed to do. Start getting money out of your wallet and care for poor and marginalized people. You'll love them more. Do you want to you love missions? Do you want to love church planning? Go find a missionary or a church planner, support, and you'll start loving what God's doing all throughout the world even more. If you want to store up eternal treasure, part of the key is this. If your heart's not there, you lead your heart there by putting your treasure where your heart's not. That's first. Let's go back to the passage. We're going to keep reading. Verse 22, Jesus continues. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. 
So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? So the second question Jesus raises for us is this. Is your vision clear or is your vision cloudy? Clear or cloudy? Uh, Jesus, he brings up the eye and, and he says the eye is the lamp of the body. He's reminding us that the eye is oftentimes regarded as the window by which light enters our body. You with me? Uh, think about a window in your house and this will make sense. If you have some type of window covering on that window, curtains, blinds, a uh, lot of dirt that you just haven't gotten off yet, you know that the state or condition of that window, it prevents light from coming in, right? Now, if you, if you take the coverings off the window, you actually go outside and you clean the window, you know that the new state of that window, it allows a lot of light to flood your house. Jesus is teaching here that the same is true for us spiritually. The state of our spiritual eye or our spiritual vision ultimately determines how much spiritual light or spiritual darkness enters our life. And I'll try to keep it really easy for you, okay? If your sights are set on earthly things, on earthly treasures, your spiritual vision will always be clouded. You won't value what God values. You won't treasure what God treasures. Your earthly kingdom will take precedence over his eternal kingdom. And you might even uh, go so far as to convince yourself that you have a deep, genuine love for God when in fact the opposite is true because spiritual darkness has not flooded your life. On the other hand, on the other hand, if your sights are set on things above, there's a reason Paul tells us in Colossians 3, 2, as followers of Christ, to set our, our minds on things above, not on things of this world. If your sights are set on, on heavenly treasures, on the great generosity of God displayed toward you in Jesus Christ, well, all of a sudden, now your spiritual vision becomes clear. You start to see things the way God sees things. And as a result, you value what he values, you, you treasure what he treasures his kingdom starts to take precedence over your kingdom and spiritual light starts to flood your life. But, but it doesn't stay contained within you. It starts to flow out of you and it starts to affect the world around you. And you know when this is happening because people who know you will start to ask that why question. And why are you serving like you do? Why are you giving like you do? Why do you love like you do? Why do you make time like you do? If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Generosity cultivates curiosity. Generosity cultivates curiosity. That's time, that's treasure, that's talent. If no one is asking why about your life, there's a chance that your spiritual vision has been clouded. And so if this is you, what do you do? What do you do? Well, here's what you do. You look to Christ as your treasure. I know this isn't a super practical answer, it's a theological answer, but without the theological answer, none of the practical answers matter. You have to get this right. If you want to uncloud your spiritual vision, it begins with you looking to Christ and looking at Christ as the greatest treasure in your life. Now, how do you do that? Well, it's simple. You believe the gospel, and then you preach the gospel to yourself every day. You believe the gospel, and then you preach the gospel to yourself every day. And I'll explain, all right? The Bible uh, shares the gospel story. Gospel simply means good news, and it's the good news of Jesus, what he's done. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he came to this world wrapped in flesh to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. 
He lived a perfect life for us. The life none of us have been able to live due to sin. Uh, Jesus, at the end of his perfect life, he went to a cross and he died a brutal, hellish death in our place for our sins as our substitute, taking the punishment from God that our sin required so that we could be forgiven by God, loved and accepted by him. But that's not where the good news ends, right? Uh, The good news goes on to tell us that three days later, Jesus Christ uh, rose from the dead, overcoming sin, death, and hell on our behalf so that we could know new and eternal life with and from God. Look, I want to ask you, have you believed that? Have you believed that good news, that when you were at your worst, God gave his best? Have you believed the fact that, that because of Jesus, it doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, what you're planning on doing, That you right now, not because of of who you are, but because of who Jesus is, that you are totally, fully accepted and loved by God fully and forever. Like, have you believed that when you had nothing to offer the God of the universe, he offered you everything? Have you believed it? And then Christian in the room, here's my question. Do you preach that good news to yourself every day? Do you preach that good news to yourself every day? Here's why I ask. When a person believes the gospel and then continues every day to preach the gospel to themselves, reminding themselves of what Christ has done, Christ starts to become that person's greatest treasure. No longer do they look to the things of this world for joy, contentment, satisfaction. They only look to Christ because they know that in him they have everything they'll ever need. They have what the world could never offer them. When Christ becomes your treasure, what happens next is this. Your vision starts to clear up. Your heart starts to move and then your hands begin to open and you find yourself investing earthly treasure back into the things God treasures. That's why here at Crosspoint we say all the time that that we want to be a people who give because God gives. We want to be a people who give because God gives. If you are giving of your time, talent, or treasure out of some sense of duty, guilt, or obligation, here's what I'd say to you. Just stop. Stop serving Quit for a little while. We'll find someone to take your place. Stop giving for a little while. Put your money back in your wallet. We don't want it, all right? Resolve what's going on in your heart between you and the Lord. When you give out of guilt or obligation, that doesn't honor God and it doesn't help you. So what I would say is this. Get your eyes off of yourself. Get your eyes off of earthly things. Get them back on Jesus. Ask him to do in your heart and life what only he can do. Make him your treasure and allow him to open your hands. When guilt is the thing opening your hands, it's always a bad thing. When Jesus opened your hands, it's a freeing thing. You see, we give as Christians not because we have to, but because we get to. And I promise you'll never see giving that way until you make Christ your treasure. Go back to the passage one last time. This is where it gets really practical. Verse 24 Jesus continues, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This past week, as I was studying, I came across a story about a farmer. He came in from his field one day, and he told his wife, great news, one of the cows had twin calves. And here's what I've decided. Because the Lord has blessed us in this way, uh, we're going to raise the calves. We're going to sell them both off at the end of their lives. Uh, We're going to keep the money from one calf for ourselves. And we're going to dedicate the money uh, from the other to the Lord's work. We're going to honor him in that way. And so his wife, she was on board. That's awesome. We'll, We'll hunt which 
calf are we dedicating to the Lord? There was a white one, there was a red one. And he said, you know, we don't have to decide that right now. There's time. Let's just worry about taking care of them. And when the time comes, we'll make that decision. Well, a few months later, the farmer comes back in from his field. And he says to his wife, babe, uh, bad news, bad news. The Lord's calf died. (laughs) Died. And she said, "I, I thought you hadn't decided yet which calf we were dedicating to the Lord. And he says back to his wife, no, I always knew it would be the white one. Just always knew. Here's what's crazy. It's always the Lord's calf who dies unless we're truly mastered by him. Amen, you with me? See, to Jesus' point, we're either mastered by God or money, but we can't be mastered by both. We either love God or we love money, but we cannot love both at the same time. The greatest evidence in your life that you love money more than God, that you're mastered by money over God is this. God either gets nothing from you or he gets your leftovers. If that's you, what do you do? Like if you're that person who would say, you know what, uh, and here's the question Jesus raises, which master are you serving? If you were the person who would say, uh, you know, if I'm being honest, I am serving the wrong master, I'm serving money, let me show you what you do. Here, here it is. You submit to the master of your treasure. That's the right answer. What do I do, James, if that's me? Submit to the master of your treasure. And look, you are not the master of your treasure. You get that, right? God is the master of your treasure. He is the one who has entrusted it to you that you might use it to honor him and help other people. So when it comes down to it, this whole conversation is about treasure. It comes down to one thing. Will I submit or will I not? Will I do what God asks me to do with my treasure or will I not? Now I know the idea of submission is tough for a lot of us. Because when we think of submitting to God, uh, our thoughts go to a slave submitting to a master. And there's no joy in that. And I get it because for a long time, I was that guy. I grew up in church and probably until my early to mid-20s. Like I always thought that God was just this slave driver. I was his slave. I was supposed to do what he asked me to do to keep him happy, to keep him off my back, to keep him appeased. And I just felt guilty all the time, condemned, never found joy in following Jesus. To be honest, it was a point in my life when I just wanted out. I wanted to be done with it all. And then God woke me up to the truth. Submission, as I just described it, is never what God had in mind. God never asks us to submit to him like a slave submits to a master. He asks us to submit to him as loved sons and daughters would to a good, gracious father. Big difference. Big difference. And those of you in the room who have kids, you understand the difference, don't you? Look, when your kids submit to you, they honor you, they obey you, it leads to joy and blessing for everyone in the house, doesn't it? It leads to your joy as a parent, and it also leads to uh, your kids' joy because you know you get to bless them, you, you give to them. If you have a teenager, you can let the leash out a little bit longer. Nobody has to be disciplined. When your kids submit and obey, everything is as it should be. Jesus is reminding us here, the same is true with us and God. Same is true with us and God. When we submit to God as master, when we obey God as master, it doesn't lead to a loss of life and freedom. It leads to joy and blessing. The Apostle Paul, he reiterates this in 1 Timothy 6, 19. I love this. He says, when we set our hope on God, not on earthly riches, two things happen. Two things happen. We store up for ourselves uh, treasure, eternal treasure, as a good foundation for the future. 
So simply put, we obey God, God rewards us with eternal treasure. Isn't that great? The Bible teaches that when you and I as followers of Jesus step into eternity one day, that God will reward us for what we did while we were here on the earth. The Bible also teaches that God will reward those who were mastered by him, not their money, in greater ways than those who did the opposite. Now, knowing that to be true, why would we ever allow ourselves to be mastered by money? I mean, it's the... Great missionary Jim Elliott once said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Crazy to allow ourselves to serve the wrong master. Secondly, Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 6, 19, that when we obey God as master, we take hold of that which is truly life. Church, dead things can't give you life. Chase after and acquire all the dead things you want. Money, stuff, power, whatever it is, right? All that earthly stuff you treasure, it'll never offer you life. Who offers us life? Jesus, right? He's the only one that gives it to us. So when we walk with the Lord, when we submit to him as as master, all of a sudden we start understanding how life was meant to work. You want to take hold of life? You want to feel like your life matters? Like it has purpose? Like it has meaning? Stop living for earthly things and submit to God as the master of your treasure. All of a sudden, it's like, dang, I feel like I'm here for something. You submit to him and him alone. Now, as we get ready to close, I just want to take it back to where we first started, all right? And let's have a real honest moment. Can we do that, 1130? Honest moment? Yes? All right, even if you walked in the room today and, uh, and you don't believe anything that you've heard, that's fine. You can still participate Because you're smart, you have a brain, and you know the answers to these questions. Here's the first one. In the scheme of eternity, we all know that we're here for a short time, right? Yes, we know that. We also know that whatever we acquire while we're here isn't coming with us when we leave, right? So here's the challenge. Here's the invitation. Let's not be those people who store up the wrong treasure in the wrong place for all the wrong reasons. Let's lead our heart with our treasure to what we should truly treasure in life. Let's look to Christ as our our greatest treasure. I I pray that the heartbeat of our church would become, you know, take everything this world has to offer me, give me Jesus, and I'll be okay. I pray that 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 mindset, that heartbeat would define this church because when it does and if it does, I believe we'll see God do things in and through our lives that, that we never thought was possible. Let's make Christ our treasure, give because he's given first to us. And let's choose today to be those people who say, you know what? God's the master of my stuff. I'm not going to call the shots. I'm going to let him call the shots. I'm not going to be in control. I'm going to let him be in control because I know when that happens. I know when that happens. I store up the right treasure and I experience life in the way that it was meant to be. Now, every single week, man, I bring it down to this point and I say, we need God's help. We need God. Look, you can't do this stuff that we've been talking about without his help, right? You can't walk out of here and just resolve, I'm going to be that person. No, you're needy. And you're desperate for the Lord. And unless he does something supernatural in your life today, you can't obey Jesus. And so right now, I just want us all over the room just to bow our heads and to close our eyes and to ask for the Lord's help. Just kind of settle into his presence right now. Set your heart and your mind on him. And just tell him, just tell him right now in this moment, God, I need you. I need you. 
Just tell him, God, I need you to do something in my heart and life today so that my hands would open. So that I would invest my time, my talent, my treasure into your kingdom for the right reasons. Just ask God. Ask him to help you love the things that he loves. To value what he values. To treasure what he treasures. Just pray right now in this moment and just say to God, God, help me to to get my eyes off, off things here on the earth and to get my eyes onto things that that are eternal, things that will never diminish, never fade away. God, we confess and acknowledge in this moment that we need you. God, we want to obey Jesus. We want to follow him. Because we know that when we do that, joy and blessing is found. Life is taken hold of. God, we know we can't do it unless your spirit does something supernatural in us to change us. So God, again, we're saying today, change us. Help us to lay down uh, those things that we treasure over and above your kingdom. Help us to let go of those things that we're holding onto so tightly so that we can take a hold of you and you alone. God, some of us need to have our, our cold, dead hearts woken back up so that we can love you once again. God, would you do that for us? Help us to see in Jesus how much you've loved us first, that we might love you for the first time or or love you again. God, would you just pour your Holy Spirit out in this place? Would you move in freedom? Would you move in power? God, would you do things in our lives in the next few moments that only you can do? God, we're so grateful for all that you've done for us. And we pray this in the name of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.